When you get behind the wheel of a Toyota Highlander XSE, magical moments are always right around the corner. One second you're using all-wheel drive to climb up a steep trail on the outskirts of town, when suddenly you make it to a clearing at the very top and see a view of your side of town that takes your breath away. Wait a minute. That's our block? Mm-hmm. The west side never looks so good. Make the most of each moment with a powerfully capable Toyota SUV like the Highlander XSE. Toyota, let's go places. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the GC Sunscast, the longest running Gold Coast Sun show on the interwebs, all thanks to our Patreon sponsors, Dale Snelling, Paul Vosti, Robbie Fiorini, Brody Burgess, Kate Kelland, Tom Kim, Chris Moore and Tim. Thank you all so much for your Patreon contributions. You can also support the show over on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, wherever you like to get your podcasts from, Google or Apple Podcasts. Make sure you like, subscribe, and review to help support the show. And in today's episode, one of our Patreon sponsors, the one and only Paul Vosti. Welcome to the show. G'day, Shane. Good to be back. It is good to be back, and I've just double-checked the recording. It is definitely recording, so as long as there's no technical glitch like last week where the the app decides to close down... um, we should have an episode going out live to the fans. So again, I want to apologize to everyone for that. Uh, It was a ripper of an episode. I've spoken to Mitch Cleary since then, and he has agreed to come back onto the show uh, in the near future. So we'll try and get him on at some point. But for now, Paul, you're a friend of Mitch, and uh, you were sort of feeding him some inside info during the week of uh, things to talk about and what you were keen on. How have you seen the season so far from your perspective? Look, I've been... Um, I'm very patient with the Gold Coast Suns. Obviously, with the sort of knowledge I've got of the group and with uh, the Bose connection, I I can see the vision of the club and that, you know, we're really only two years into the formal rebuild of the post Tom Lynch, Marty Martin and anyone else that didn't want to be part of the, um, the journey. So I'm looking at it as uh, the... The growth of the group's not going to be just linear and just continually, like last year, we went from 18th to 14th and I think supporters were going, OK, we're going to win 10 games and or 12 games and play finals and it's all going to be wonderful. Um, there's going to be bumps along the, along the way and some of those bumps are controllable and some are uncontrollable. And, you know, nine knee injuries to some of our key players is uh, certainly uncontrollable. So... Um, yeah, so apart from that two quarters against the Bulldogs where, um, you know, I was talking to Mitch about, I was there watching it live and um, they were just, it was out of control, you know, they were just playing football at the highest level and every bounce was going their way. They were kicking goal, Trelaws kicked a goal from 70 metres, they were kicking goals from the boundary. It was just one of those halves of footy that, doesn't happen very often. So I think, like Stewie said, there was a lot of learnings from that. It was learnings to just see, wow, what you can produce when everything goes right and also how we reacted to it. And I think, um, yeah, if you look at the season so far, 22 of the 24 quarters, we've been uh, highly competitive. Um, you know, we've been, I went to the Adelaide Crows game and, again, you know, you look at that game, uh, Tex Walker's had the game of his seat 
that, you know, like was just unstoppable. Without ticks, they don't win. Um, so, yeah, there's just, I'm sure the coaches and the, the inner sanctum look at some of those games a lot closer than the supporters and they're just looking and going, okay, well, if this happened, the result might have been a bit different. So it's not always just a four points um, game. It's about actually looking at the big picture and what they're doing right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bullish about how they're going so far. Yeah, and you've had a good chance to see a lot of the Suns games this year. You've, you, you're based in Victoria, so I assume you get to those games. And I know you've, like you said, you've travelled to Adelaide for that one. I know you travelled up to the Gold Coast for the Carlton game. Uh, you, you're certainly getting around a bit, spending those frequent flyer miles to, to support the Suns, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, no, it's good. And it, it's. I think I said to you previously, like, being a small club comes with benefits because you, if you if you're barracking for Collingwood and there's a hundred thousand members and one of your friends' is sons playing, you you just a you're another you're just another number. Whereas with the sons, uh, their family programs and you've really got to connect with a lot of the. It's a it's like a, a large large local footy club at the moment, and you know all the you know the cheer squads around Australia. I you know pretty much know all the head of all the cheer squads and, you know, up in Perth there might be 50 supporters in Adelaide there's 100 and so, you know, you actually you have a few beers with them and you get to know them and, and, and they love they love the footy club. They genuinely really love love the footy club like any of the, the crazy passionate um, Melbourne clubs. Yeah, I'm very envious of being able to do that. I've always wanted to travel down to Melbourne and witness a Suns game at the MCG or something like that. But very rarely do the Suns play at the MCG. And even rarer do I have the the free money to be able to jump on the plane and head down there. But one of these days it will happen. And uh, I can't wait to join all the Suns supporters. you got three accommodation in Melbourne as many <laughs> if you want. So Fantastic. Just, uh, just got to get you on a, get you on a plane. Yeah. Yeah. We're at the MCG this week, so we're, we're all heading, heading to the footy on a traditional Saturday afternoon um, game at the MCG. So I haven't been to a 2 o'clock game in Melbourne for a long time. Yeah, it has been a while. Um, we'll get into the Sydney game in a moment, but before we do that, the Suns during the week, they had a brilliant piece of uh, a brilliant video they put out for, thanks to their media team the 10-year anniversary off the first win. Now, that one snuck up on me, but it's certainly one of the fondest memories I have in football, and I can certainly say exactly where I was when I when that game was on and I witnessed the Suns' first win. Uh, I was at a resort in Coffs Harbour having a holiday with my 2B wife, and... Um, she wasn't too impressed that I took some time out from a, a nice day of massage and relaxing to uh, watch the football, but it certainly paid off. What about you? In terms of where I was for that game? Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to remember. Um, I, look, I remember Daniel Gorridge because he's a bit of a character and um, his uh, friends were a mate of mine that played local footy with him the last couple of years at Wandon and... Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think where I was to watch it, but um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was. There's been a lot of great, great wins along the way too. So, and that's the thing about the the small steps of uh, building this footy club that those memories um, 
when these milestones come along, you know, that's when, you know, clubs start creating some history as well. You know, you start having your 10-year reunions and 15, 20-year reunions. So it just takes time. And, um, you know, it's interesting, someone was saying the other day about, you know, the attack on the academies and, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at Collingwood with Nick Dacos going to be number one with father-son and, you know, it's going to be 40 years until the sons have a, an opportunity to take a, a father-son player. So, you know, that's why you need the academies as well because that's our um, chance of developing um, what the other clubs don't, what, what we don't have by not having uh, the history of the father-sons. Well, uh, something I, I didn't run by you, so you're more than welcome not to answer this if you don't know the answer or you don't want to, but Jack Bowes, I know you're close with the Bowes family. Did Was there any a chance that Jack Bowes wouldn't have made it at AFL level if it wasn't for the academies? Because if I remember correctly, he moved down from Cairns, didn't he, to live with his grandparents on the Gold Coast to be a part of that academy? Yeah, so he, he, was, in the, he was sort of one of the founding members of the academy up in Cairns and then as it got to a stage in his year 12 year that um, the the club with cancer with the family thought it was the best thing for his development to move to the Gold Coast and for his year 12 year, which coincided with um, like his un, um, the year before his draft year. So that was you know that was really significant for his footy because. In Cairns at that stage, he'd already started playing senior football, so he was sort of 15, and there was no real competition at junior level, so for him to have competition was able to put his body up against men or um, just when he had carnivals. So I think by yeah, the move to Melbourne certainly fast-tracked his uh, development, but he was always highly regarded. Um, so, I, you know... It's a hard thing. If, if they didn't have the academy, I'd say he could have been lost to soccer because he was um, he was he was chucked um, you know Australian level with futsal and uh, soccer. So you know if there wasn't that pathway, he probably might have chosen a different sport. Yeah, so there's definitely a track record that the academy already has had an impact for the Gold Coast, and uh, that's an article that um, I spoke to Mitch Cleary about last week as one of our. Uh, Friends of the show, Cal Toomey, uh, wrote an article about the Suns potentially losing their uh, benefits or concessions from the AFL. One of those is, in fact, the uh, ability to not match points for academy players. Uh, if you listen to, I think it was yesterday's AFL Exchange episode, um, they d- discussed it again and we we've been very lucky with some of the academy players we've got in the last couple of years um especially the northern territory zone with jeffries and roses um there's i think ned stevens is from the nt zone and he's a upcoming draft prospect for this season uh and then we've also obviously got you know players like uh davies uh fife nichols um Connor Butterick. Butterick as well. Can't can't believe I almost forgot Butters. He's uh he's been a revelation actually. Uh so plenty of talent coming through that academy. And yeah. the Suns have been very lucky to to not have to match bids and hopefully if things go our way, we won't have to again for another season. But 
if we do, I don't think it's the worst thing because we've got first access to them and if other clubs rate them enough to, to bid on them, then even better for the Suns to to know that they're justified in selecting those sort of players on our list. Yeah, and you still get the um, you still get the twenty percent concession, and I and I think there's still a bit of a not a policy, but I think there's a bit of an unwritten rule that the other clubs will keep you honest, but if they're not going to put stupid bids on players just to like make it harder for a club, so. You know, like Jack, for example, was a perfect example. Like Cal had him rated top three, and he slipped through to ten, um, just because the other clubs knew Gold Coast were going to take him, and they didn't. You know, they just sort of let him slip, and that happens with the academies from time to time. The players will slip down three or four spots because the the clubs know that the the academy club will take them, and they just yeah. So I think we'll. I, I, I reckon we might get one more year of it. It's a massive concession, not having to pay for Luke Davies and Joel Jeffrey and Connor Budrick. It's, you're basically picking up three first-round players for free. Um, we might get one more year of it, but then post, post that, we'll still have the zones. We'll just have to pay the, um, you know, the fair market price for them, less the 20% concession that everyone else gets. Yeah. All right, well, let's jump into the fantastic win the Gold Coast Suns had on the weekend. It was round six and Gold Coast took on Sydney. Gold Coast won 15 goals 10-100 to Sydney's 9 goals 6-60 a 40 point win from the Gold Coast Suns and uh, it never really looked in doubt uh, from about halfway through that second quarter. The Suns really started to make Sydney hurt. Their pressure around the ball was intense throughout the entire game. Uh, just sitting there at the game, you heard every single hit, and I thought it was a very physical game. Um, Sydney were a bit worse for wear in that first quarter. Uh, you saw Nick Blakey sort of get uh, thrown up in the air. I um, oh, can't remember a few of the other ones. There was a head clash with um, Burgess and a Sydney player. It was a very intense physical game, and the Suns really dominated brought out the pressure and really worried Sydney into making a lot of uh, mistakes. And they certainly capitalised on those mistakes, kicking 10 goals, 5 from turnovers. Uh, that's I don't know if it's an AFL record, but it's certainly a season record for the Suns. And uh, King kicked 5 goals, Ainsworth kicked 3, Corbett and Rankin had 2 apiece. Uh, best on ground? Well, I don't know about you, Paul, but Tuke Miller was certainly the most dominant player, uh, especially when the game was on the line. 36 disposals, 16 of those in that first quarter. Operating at 72% efficiency, he also had 9 tackles and 9 clearances. Fantastic work from the little Tuke Tuke. Yeah, he was terrific. I, I thought um, also a special mention to um, Nick Holman. I think the what he's done this year in terms of coming in as a off the the sub, but then also you know playing multi, different roles. But his um, his forward tackling pressure, I think he's rated number one in the competition, and he's probably played fifteen or sixteen quarters. Is elite, and um, and it really just shows that you know footy isn't all just about kicking and skills. If you bring uh, if you bring effort, passion, and 
real purpose to your football, um, you can achieve a lot more than what some other supposedly more gifted players um, do achieve. And I think Nick's a perfect example of someone that's 100% bought into Stuart Hughes' coaching and the way he sees a, a 22-player side operate. And uh, I think we had 79 tackles, which was probably a season high um, by a long way. And, uh, you know, just across the board, our... Um, our numbers around every contest, we were like, you know, you could just tell from they were, they were just swarming, and they were, um, it was just if they if they got one tackle, there'd be another tackle, and they were just they were just hunting the player and hunting the ball, and uh, it was great to watch. Yeah, Holman was impressive. He only had the twenty three touches, but thirteen tackles, and then it was all the one percenters, the tackles, uh, the smothers. He laid so many of those one percenter pressure acts on the opposition at crucial times, which resulted in scoring opportunities for the Suns. Uh, Very impressive, and it's exactly what you want a small pressure forward to be able to produce, and Nick Holman did a fantastic job. Uh, The other player was a midfielder, Anderson, 34 disposals, 84% efficiency, 6 clearances, and 536 metres gained. He was just running around uncontested uh, for the day as they decided to try and tag and clamp down on Tuke Miller. And uh, Anderson just did what he liked, and he's going—he's going to be an absolute jet. He's like seriously. There was talk about Bra- uh, Matt Rowe being a Brownlow medalist, but I reckon Noah Anderson's more likely to be a Brownlow medalist before Matt Rowe. Yeah, well, it's, uh, we'll only know in a few years' time. <laughs> <laughs> what what you could throw up to the listeners and what is that if you if you were to look at the side in uh, 2023, how many of them do you think genuinely will be contending for all Australian um, contention? And I, I I was thinking about it the other day, and I could go uh, Rao, Anderson, King, Rankin, Lacocious, Bose, potentially Ainsworth. You could have Collins. Nah, uh, maybe. Well, yeah. we need a full back. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, all Australian. Um, yeah, you, you could have seven or eight potential all Australians. Now, history will tell you if you can get over four, you can um, with all your role players, you're going to be uh, a highly, highly competitive uh, side at the business end of the season. Yeah, um, Andrew. Uh, sorry, Andrew. David Swallow just did what he normally does. He had 31 disposals. Ainsworth had one of his best goal games in Suns colours, 20 disposals and three goals. Certainly the best game we've seen him have for a while. Markov had 15 disposals at 80% efficiency, but what was fantastic about Markov was his run and carry. I know I've said it before in episodes this year, but he he was just so electric, and when he gets on a run, it really lights up Metricon Stadium. The moment that we get a, uh, a full crowd at Metricon Stadium, it is just going to be deafening when Markov gets on gets the ball on the wing and just runs towards forward 50 because uh, he was sensational. And that play, I think it was in the late in the third quarter where he took it from halfback all the way up to half forward, yeah. you know, handballing and bringing other teammates into the, to the game was sensational. The club's put out a little uh, video on that today. It's a, it's it's very funny, very funny. They've got him running against the same bolts and the Road Runner and Superman, and <laughs> 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 but they're very clever. Their marketing department. 
And uh, one of the other players that had a sensational game that you wouldn't normally pick to to be one for the Suns, and that was Sean Lemons. Coming back from a concussion, he had 10 intercepts and really shut down uh, Papley, who was his opposition for the day. Who He only got one goal, and that was a bit of a, a fluke goal from a um, uh, ruck contest early in the first quarter. But uh, Sean Lemons has really come full circle with his ability to to play AFL football. I mean, he's started in... I think he might have even started in defence then was shifted forward and now he's back in defence. And he he just looks so natural down there. Yeah, I, look, I agree, but I disagree with what you're sort of saying about it. I, I think, Sean, it, it's just been his body that's let him down. He's, he's another one like Nick Coleman. That when Sean Lemons plays... We're a better footy side because he only knows 100%. He gives everything he has every single second of every single game. And it's just been um, him getting continual, continual games of footy. He's just had so many niggling short injuries. He hasn't had the major ACL, but he's just had, he's just one of those players that just he strings together three or four games and he'll hurt his ankle or he'll get concussion or he'll hurt his shoulder. And um, he's, he's a, very valuable um, player to that football club because he he's a role player, but he he's he just brings energy and, and passion, and he'll play any any position. That's right. So he played on Papley next week. They could say, right, we need you to be a defensive forward, and he'll play a defensive forward role. So and he never ever would be a player that would turn around to the coach and say, why me? He'd just say, yep, no worries. Let's go. I think that's why we all love him. Just his, he goes at 110, 120%, and he really reminds me of what Patrick Dangerfield was like at the Crows in his early first few years, where they had to hold him back because Dangerfield was just constantly hurting his body just because he, he wouldn't know how to, how to protect himself and limit. He didn't know anything other than going at 110%, and that was very much like Sean Lemon's in the early part of Sean's career. Uh, he'd constantly get injured, whether it be concussion or ankle, like you said. But he was always going that 110%. And now I feel like he's he's matured enough to know when to go 110% and when not to. Um, and he really picked his moment. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. It's fantastic, uh, perfectly on um, Saturday uh, to, to know when to go that extra mile to get those 10 intercepts because uh, he was very attacking and catapulted a lot of our, our forward forays. So really impressed with Lemons. And the commentary team as well was because that they kept on talking about him. I got yeah. home and uh, watched the replay of the game, and, yeah, they just kept talking about Lemons. Yeah. Do you think the uh, forward, forward line structure worked better having basically two small forwards with Ainsworth and Rankin instead of having Ainsworth, Rankin, Sexton and McPherson? I think it did, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Now, I, I did propose that when I was talking to Mitch last week that Sexton and McPherson might need to make way. I can't remember who I suggested coming in, but it was it was definitely uh, bringing in the the senior bodies into into other positions because Rankin and Ainsworth both need to be that dominant small forward, and when there's so many there, they don't they rarely get their opportunity to shine. And I think they're both confidence players. Once they get one goal, then it sort of racks up and they get more confidence to keep going, keep pushing themselves that little extra bit to get to the next contest. And that's what really helped the Suns, I think. Like, Ainsworth had his best game for a long time. Rankin had his best game for a long time as well. Um, And then having the the tools of King and always having either a Corbett or a Burgess down there to help compete really gave those small forwards their opportunities. Yeah, it's something that brought, uh, especially with Benny, like when there's the four of them, Ben plays a lot higher. So he's playing more of that lead-up third tall as a small. So I think, yeah, he's, his position sort of got more redefined what he was drafted for as, as a, a lead for, small forward. And, and that, can... that's what a lot of the fans expect from him. But when yeah, he's not he... given that position... Uh, he's been, he cops he's a lot of criticism. He's been he's been playing Josh Corbett's role. Yeah. So you know, um no, I was quite happy with the way the the forward line structured up this week. I'm not surprised of having those three three tools, Holman as your pressure forward and then the two um the two elite smalls. So And let let's talk about our, our tall forwards. We had King kicking a personal best five goals. There was an article that a friend of the show, Michael Whiting, came out with today. 60 goals from 37 games. The next best is Hawkins with 47. I actually think I heard somewhere else that Franklin had 59 goals at the same stage of his career. So Ben King is certainly on track to be one of the best key forwards in the competition. Yeah, without a doubt. And look, you can see with Ben as well that he's got a big end, like... This, uh, he got he got uh, hit up pretty hard in the press by um, Matthew Lloyd and um, Nick Rewald the week before, and so did Ainsworth. And so I'm not surprised they both rebounded, um, saying that his work rate wasn't good enough and things like that. So no, nah, Ben's a, an amazing talent, just like his brother. Um, it's just it's just going to take time, you know. And what he's producing already, um, you know, like if you threw him in a, a different side that had you know, if he was in Richmond where he was, you know, had the luxury of sitting behind Rewald and Lynch, what would he be doing? Like he's he shouldered he shouldered a very big load for a young, you know, twenty year old player. Yeah, and he'll he'll only get better for that. I don't think they're they're pushing his body too hard where he's gonna break down or anything. But it's mm. good that he's finally got some support down there. Josh Corbett, he's come in uh, last week against the dogs and in two games he's kicked five goals and had thirteen marks in the forward half. Uh, that's a big help, a big load off uh, Ben King's shoulders, having that extra target to, to try and kick goals and score through, but also to provide that target further up the ground. The 13 marks in the forward half is just fantastic, and it shows the work rate that uh, Corbett brings to the side, which is something that the Suns have needed for quite some time. Yeah, and it's like I said to you when we were having a, a chat before the show, is that you don't just develop a list around um, 
top 10 draft pick. So if you look at, um, and this is one of the things when you, you listen to the Melbourne media and they're, they're throw, throwing a bullet at you know, some of our top 10 picks that haven't, haven't worked. Well, every club have got top 10 picks that don't, don't make it. It's just, um, that's just the way it goes in drafting. But what we've been able to do with some of the concessions as well, if you look at the three VFL boys, we've got Josh Corbett, Burgess, and our reigning best and fairest in Sam Collins. Then you look at um, strategic um, recruiting with Markoff from Richmond. We haven't seen Atkins yet, but they're doing a lot right in terms of the list build external to the um, the, the primary uh, focus of just A grade top ten draft picks. And then you, I, yeah, and then you throw in a pick sixty from a couple of years ago, Jai Farah who's mm. been revelationary in his first two games this season. It was his second game last week, his third game this week. He had 21 disposals at 81% last week, along with eight marks and nine intercepts. And this week, 14 disposals, 78%, with seven marks and five intercepts. So mm. he's he's become fantastic. Like, he was recruited as, as a forward, and now he's sort of reworked and redeveloped himself into a a mid-range attacking defender and uh, he goes so complimentary with that uh, back line that we've got of Ballard and Collins uh, freeing up players like Markov to to be more attacking and if Markov gets clamped down then we've got players like Farrow and Lemons that can help mm. and, and damage the opposition. Yeah, no, it's all coming together nice. I actually had a few beers with Josh Corbett's dad before the... Uh Bulldogs game and uh, yeah, lovely bloke. So he's here, there, enjoying it. The Suns have been really grateful for the opportunity Josh got through the um, you know, the VFL concessions. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that as well. Um, and whenever you ask anyone in the media, you know, which Suns player, you know, do do you enjoy talking to the most? They all say Josh Corbett because of the energy that he brings. And yeah. I think uh, we had Cal Toomey on last year talking about that. So you might have to go find that episode. But, it, yeah, it's great to have those sort of players in the side. And I think we've got more foundation and a, a stronger list build than what we had, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And like you said at the start of the show, we're only two years into this complete reset where we've got rid of all the all the parts that didn't fit started the new and we're building up from the ground up and it just feels so so solid already after two years so can't wait to see what they bring um i still have questions over the ruck issue in the um in the game against the swans we lost the rucks um fortunately for us we won the clearances by th- three but we lost the hitouts by 56 and um, it rings danger signs ahead of the game against Collingwood this week against uh, Grundy because um, that could be very, very sad for Gold Coast Suns fans if he is able to get a hold of us. How do you think the ruck has been working out so far with Caleb Graham competing, uh, Greenwood and Burgess having a having a hit out as well? Look, it's... What can you do? It's... Yeah, you play Greenwood, then we're just in a corner. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether they bring Zach Smith in this week after one one game, or they'll give him give him give him an extra game in the VFL, like um, 
but you know we're just desperate to have a ruckman. It's there's nothing. I don't think the coaches could do it any different. Like I'd, I'd, the only other solution you would do would be to put Ben King in the ruck, and then you know there'd be an uproar because they go, well, yeah, you can't you can't throw Ben King in the ruck, but he's literally our only 200 centimetre player on the list at the moment. So yeah, um, the difference was in the two, last two weeks is that. Sydney still had amazing midfielders in Kennedy and Parker, etc. But what happened against the Bulldogs is that with Bonapelli, we we just weren't competitive in the midfield. And with the six six six, they were getting clearances. It was just going straight down. It was just like a tsunami. Um, whereas on the weekend we were losing the ruck, but we were winning the clearances. Took was amazing, and and Davy Swallow, and uh, Anderson. So. It, it didn't really have that effect because the, the back line weren't put under siege every single time we lost a tap out. Like, I think we still lost both weeks. We lost, like, the tap outs by 50 or 60. Um, that's not going to change when, you know, until we get Zach Smith in, we're going to lose the tap out. So it's what happens once the ball hits the deck and what type of pressure the midfield can put on the opposition to nullify losing the tap outs. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly what's going on. And um, hopefully when Zach Smith comes back, we can sort of even up that that uh, hit out and give our f- midfielders every opportunity to, to win the clearances a bit easier. But just because they're not there doesn't mean the... It just means the midfielders need to step up a bit and um, work that extra extra hard to uh, to get those clearances. Now... Something we spoke about off the air and something I discussed in depth last week with Mitch Cleary, the media narrative around players wanting to leave. So this is this question was focused around what Kane Corn said and Matt Lloyd said last week after the horrible loss to the Dogs. Um, it seems a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? You know, players wanting to leave just... Like it was one bad game, or as yeah. we've said, two bad quarters, and yeah. certain people in the media are like, "Oh, that's it. The Suns are done. You know, players are going to leave. They need to do something quick." Now that's a bit exaggerative, isn't it? It's jumping the shadows, and I actually replied to Kane. I really, uh, I really replied to Kane Corns, what I did this time, and I posed to him what. What's your solution, Kane? Do you want a two-tiered competition, so a Premier League with um, just the super clubs? Because he was basically implying that unless you play in front of 90,000 people at the MCG or 50,000 at the Adelaide Oval or 60 at Optus Oval, your career is wasted. So he's he's looking at the loquacious rankings and going, well, if you if you continue, you, you will not have a successful career at um, Gold Coast. And so the... You throw it back at him and say, okay, well, look, that's fine, Kane. If that's what you perceive success in an AFL career, well, we need to, a two-tier competition because the the boutique stadiums and the boutique clubs of Melbourne, um, North Melbourne, St Kilda, Gold Coast, uh, uh, you know, to a lesser extent, Brisbane Lions, uh, Sydney, GWS, these smaller clubs, you, you're never going to have 100,000 members. You're never going to have a stadium that's going to, you know, be seventy thousand people. So, I question my question back to him as well is that in three years' time, when Gold Coast are 
successful and Metricon's got 22,000 people, I'm positive the atmosphere in that stadium will be equivalent to playing at a, a Etihad Stadium. It'll be it'll be electric. And the players, if you interviewed uh, Michael Voss or uh, Jonathan Brown and said, did you have a successful football career playing at the Brisbane Lions? Did you enjoy your football? I'm sure they would say yes because they had team success and they played in a small stadium. So I think Kane's just... They're just jumping at shadows. They're... Um, the, the media have to sell papers, they have to sell hits, clicks, or whatever you call it on social media, and every week, this week, it's Carlton and Collingwood that are under the blowtorch, and if you, the unfortunate of the Suns is that because of their history, um, they get assessed very, very quickly, and like I was saying, the linear, the linear growth is not going to happen, so occasionally we're going to have these games that aren't going to be um, acceptable, but that's going to happen. Does anyone, did anyone have a go at um, Hawthorne on the weekend when Adelaide Crows kicked 10 goals in a quarter? Now, they came back and won a game, but they're a young team. They had a bad quarter. It's it's going to happen. Uh, the the main thing I think the Suns need to focus on, and a, a good friend of mine, Shane Fergus, um, spoke about it today, is just the, the, the crowds and the scheduling of games. You know, like... For this player retention, we can't have home games of 7,000 people. So if the Gold Coast people are serious about their footy club, we, we have to get up to the 15 to 18 to 20,000 people at home games sooner rather than later. You know, and, that's, and that might come down to the scheduling. I think the, this week with the, the Saturday afternoon game is a really good time slot. I think um, night footy on the Gold Coast isn't good for families. So they need to probably talk to the AFL about what works in Queensland because Queenslanders uh, get up so early. You know they're up at five o'clock doing exercise and being uh, active that they don't they don't stay up as late as Victorians. Victorians tend to get up later. They like going to the footy at night, and then it's a sort of different culture. So I think the scheduling of games around the, the lifestyle of the Gold Coast is really important moving forward, and the quicker we can get that Metricon Stadium, you know, three quarters to fully full, I think you'll find um, the players will be, you know, love playing there. Yeah, and we know it's possible. Uh, the early years at Metricon Stadium, we were getting 15-plus thousand most weeks, um, the, the first game against Geelong at Metricon Stadium, I think that was around 20-odd thousand plus, 22,000. And it was an electric atmosphere, fantastic environment. And once the Suns start winning, I think that all comes back. I think we we see more locals go to the football. We, we know that Gold Coast locals are pretty fickle when it comes to supporting teams. And teams have to be winning to see any success. Uh, so once that starts happening, I think we'll we'll see that lift up in the game. We just need to try and get the wins first. So hopefully the players can sort of hold out and um, that you know learn to love the the Gold Coast. I mean, we saw what Isaac Rankin. I don't know if you saw it on the footage, but at the end of the game, giving his two boots away to to a couple yeah. of brothers in the crowd. That's that's yeah. special. I mean, that that's just really special sort of heart and soul sort of attitude. You know, it's a not. I don't think he was prompted or anything. He just 
went out there and did it after the game. Uh, and and yeah. like, uh, like I said to you last time as well, is that when the Suns started as well, they were probably everyone's second side. So, you know, a lot of the Gold Coast is a lot of uh, re- relocated people in the Gold Coast. But there's, you know, a big uh, Queensland contingency, genuine Queenslanders on the Gold Coast now. And, and with the growth of AFL football in Queensland, now you're seeing a wave of true Gold Coast supporters. You know, I used to vote for Carlton. I'm a Gold Coast. They, you know, like now you're seeing kids that are getting born in Queensland and barracking for the Gold Coast Suns. And Isaac Rankin is their hero. Now that that's what comes with time and history. So this is where you know these Cane Corns. They're just they're so judgmental, and they're not. They're not fair. It's, it's it's okay for him to sit there and go, well, I won four best and fairest at Port Adelaide Football Club and that club's 170 years old. Well, congratulations, Kane. That's wonderful. But this is a new franchise. It's going to take time to develop history. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and like, I don't want to be too harsh here when I say this, but in reality, how much of Port Adelaide's history has Kane Corns influenced? Uh, compared to what some of these Suns players have the opportunity to do for the Gold Coast Suns, whatever if they go down, uh, they take the Suns to a flag, they stick around and play 300-odd games or so with the Gold Coast Suns, that stuff will go down in history and forever be remembered as... They're pioneers. The, yeah, exactly. And you don't get too many opportunities in life to be a pioneer. And I think these kids get it. I think they they understand it. They've got the heart, they've got the soul, and they really want to play good football and m- put Gold Coast on the map in the football world. We've picked up uh, two uh, new uh, Vic Suns members this week too. Mark, uh, mate of mine, Mark Glenn, and uh, a young uh, girl that's a netballer in in, uh, in the local area, Jen, Jen Simmons. They're both uh, on board with the Suns now, so... They'll be coming up over to the footy on Saturday, so we're, we're building it in Victoria as well. Well, that's great to hear. The more members, the better. Um, we're running out of time, so I'm just going to quickly skim over some other news things from the... Let's start with the VFL. Gold Coast Suns defeated Sydney 95-81 to for a 14-point win in the VFL. Uh, Will Bella, Academy prospect, kicked three goals. Brody, McPherson and Roses each had two goals. Brody with 31 disposals, Fiorini 26 disposals, 5 tackles, and McPherson 23 disposals, 2 goals, 8 tackles, all had an impact. Uh, Zach Smith, his first game back, he played about 70 minutes off the game, had 31 hitouts, 4 disposals, and a goal, so he did enough, I think, to get into the side. Um, and then across the across the other side of the M1, uh, Southport 109 defeated Aspley 95 uh, so Southport gets their second win for the season uh, Gow is with 5 goals Crossley and King with 2 goals so the Queensland sides are certainly having an impact in the VFL early and it's good to see the Suns finally get on the winners list um, in news we've got McLennan, he's the only new injury. He missed the VFL game with a groin injury. Uh, so he's listed as a test for this week, but the club is confident that he will play. And finally, Gold Coast Suns take on Collingwood at the MCG on Saturday. 
the reserve side take on Collingwood. I'm not quite sure where that is, somewhere in yeah. Melbourne. Um, yeah, Friday, Friday afternoon at um, Collingwood's at that sort of Lexus Centre. Yeah, so that's Victoria Park, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, go check out the Suns if you're in Melbourne. Support them, uh, both the VFL side and the AFL side. And uh, get along. Hopefully the Suns can get a win because if they bring the same sort of defensive pressure and work rate they brought against Sydney, the Pies are not really going to know what to do with themselves. Um, so, uh, any last comments, uh, Paul? No, just uh, let's just keep uh, positive. Uh, and you know, to all the listeners and on Facebook and chat rooms, just stick, stick with the program. 2022, 2023 is when, you know, the list is really going to start uh, having the games and the experience to really contend against the, you know, the better, the top top four to six sides in the AFL. It's a, it's a tough competition and our boys are doing a wonderful job, but there's going to be bumps in the road. Yeah, it's all part of the plan. Until next yeah. time, go Suns. Thanks, Sean. Bye. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. Have you been to Express lately? People can't get enough of their clothes. They're like insta-confidence boosters. The jeans come in a temp-control fabric that keeps you comfortable no matter the weather. And the t-shirts, hands down, they'll feel like they're made of the softest fabric you've ever worn. And get this, the suits have stretch and look sharp. Like, what? How do they do that? Everyone's raving about the newest looks from Express. Just check out the five-star reviews. See for yourself and shop the latest at Express.com and in stores.